Well, the series is uh, beautiful, and we've been talking about those things that hold us captive, those things in our past that, that haunt us, that won't go away, those things the evil one whispers sometimes in our ear that keeps us from being who God created us to be and called us to be. You know, we said God wants to turn our brokenness into something beautiful. You know, Ecclesiastes says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. See, God wants to take that and turn our brokenness into something beautiful. And I want to kind of start out on a superficial level, okay? And let's talk about embarrassment a little bit. You know, several years ago, uh, Cindy and I were having dinner with some of her family. And Cindy's brother liked to pull pranks. And so we're at the buffet, and we got our our plates filled. And uh, he turns to me, and he says, I'm going to go get some butter. Watch my plate. And then he points out a waitress. He says, see that waitress over there? She grabs people's plates all the time before they're finished. She's taken mine several times, so keep an eye on it. So he got up, started to go get butter, and I immediately reached across the table, grabbed his plate, put it in the seat next to me. So he comes back. He looks at me, he goes, where's my plate? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. It it happened so fast. And before I could get anything else out of my mouth, he heads straight for the waitress. (laughs) Now, I could not hear what they were saying. I will just tell you it was quite animated. (laughs) And the longer it went, went on, the more uncomfortable I got. And finally, he just throws up his hands in exasperation and heads back to the table. By that point, I've got the plate held up in the air, and I go, hey, I found it. (laughs) Now, it was an embarrassing moment for him, and it was an embarrassing moment for me. And just FYI, we went and apologized to, to the waitress. She did not find it amusing at all. And uh, we left a very nice tip that day. But it it was an embarrassing moment. And we've all had those, haven't we? Now, if you were to go a few layers deeper than embarrassment, because embarrassment will finally wear off. But you will find something that's very painful, that tends to be permanent, uh, leaves lasting scars in, in our lives, and does a lot more damage. And I'm talking about something called shame, which is going to be our focus today. Because unlike embarrassment, shame can be toxic. It, it strikes at the core of who we are. In fact, people never tell funny little stories about their shame. They just don't. The fact is, shame can deflate your confidence, can crush your spirit. It can destroy your relationships. In fact, experts will tell you that many times if you struggle with shame, sometimes you'll have a problem with rage in your life, especially if you feel exposed or or betrayed 
in your life that shame can lead to addiction, eating disorders, depression, and even suicide. And the bottom line is shame, shame's toxic. Now, there's the kind of shame that a young man might experience as a kid when you're consistently chosen last. You know, nobody wants you on their team. And so there's shame. There's the, the shame of uh, spending the weekend alone. You feel like everybody else is out having fun on a date. And, and you wonder inside, you know, why doesn't anybody want to be with me? There's the shame of running into someone from high school, maybe. And they've accomplished all this stuff. I mean, it's impressive. And so you wonder, what have I done in my life? There's a shame of being excluded from whether it be a party or a group, or maybe there's a shame of a long pattern of deceit in your life, mismanaged anger, you know, the shame of divorce or bankruptcy. The, the bottom line is shame weighs on you. You have that feeling that you don't measure up. You know, you've got that feeling that you're not who you were meant to be. And friends, this is more than just failing or some minor flaw that you struggle with. See, shame, it's not just I've done something wrong and I feel guilty about it, but shame is I'm ugly. There's something wrong with me. I mean, where's shame come from? There's a restaurant, it's called the Well Harbor. Cindy and I have been going there for years to, to eat. And right inside the door, there's a mirror. It's one of those funhouse mirrors. And so you, it looks ordinary. It looks like a regular mirror. But when you stand in front of it, it changes what you look like. And so you, you look in the mirror, and, and all of a sudden you see an image, and it's very distorted. You know, you stand in one spot, and you kind of look like a compact Lego character, you know. And then you get in another spot, and you look like Groot off of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and so the image is always changing, but it looks nothing like you. Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have bizarre parents. Now, some of you won't have to imagine much, but... Uh, Sorry, Mom, Dad. (laughs) But imagine they've got a bizarre sense of humor. And they decide they're going to take all the regular mirrors out of your house. And they're going to replace them with funhouse-type mirrors. And it's not just one mirror in your house. It's all the mirrors in your house. And so you grow up, and your entire childhood, you see Lego, you know, you see Groot, you, you have these distorted images that, that you've seen, and all of a sudden, that's how you understand yourself. You understand who you are by what you see, and the bottom line is, you would think that's what you actually look like. You'd be clueless as to what you really look like. Well, friends, that distortion, that distortion all of a sudden becomes who you are. And this is where it gets really ugly because you begin making decisions based on that defining look that that you believe who you are. And so you make decisions about, about your future, 
about your work, about your relationships, on misinformation, on distorted information in your life. You know, imagine uh, Shaquille O'Neal. He would have never picked up a basketball and become an NBA champ if every time he looked in the mirror, he saw a two-foot-tall, two-foot-wide Lego, you know. He wouldn't have, right? I mean, my point is we, we are at the mercy of the mirrors in our lives. And the mirrors are the people in your life. You know, for instance, a parent serves as a mirror. And so uh, before a child even has the capacity to answer the question, who am I? They begin developing their image based on what their parents reflect to them. So from an early age, you, you start rendering this image of yourself. And as you become more aware, you start looking for little hints along the way. You know, facial gestures, you know, tone of voice, a touch. And those things, you're trying to understand who you are. The people you grew up around became mirrors in your life. So when you walked in the room, if they lit up, that became part of your image of yourself. If when you walked in, they looked disappointed or they turned away, that became part of your image. You, you read through the window of those individuals who you are, and those things begin to influence how you make decisions in your life. And I know as I say that, for some of you, that image is very vivid. In fact, the message is, is very strong. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're not pretty enough. You're not special enough. And friends, I want to tell you, we all, all of us, have some distorted mirrors in our lives. You know, whether it be a, a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a neighbor or a pastor that helped distort that. Shame is a powerful technique for controlling people. I mean, it's more powerful than logic or persuasion or encouragement. In fact, years ago, our, our girls were younger. We, we went to Six Flags. How many of you have been to Six Flags before? Yeah. We, we were having a great time. Log flume and the mine train. I needed uh, chiropractic uh, work after that one. But, you know, Thunder River. We were just having a great time. Everything was fine until we passed by one ride. Everyone wanted to ride the ride except one person. Let the persuasion begin. Yeah. I mean, there was the rational approach. No one's ever died writing this. At least not that we know of. <laughs> you know, there, there was the encouragement. You'll be able to tell all your friends that you wrote it. Wouldn't that be cool? Even bribing. We'll get you some ice cream if you'll ride the ride. None of that worked. You know what worked? Shame. Look at all those tiny little bitty kids. They're, they're practically toddlers and they're riding. Why can't you ride the ride? See, shame. If, if you don't do it, there must be something wrong with you. 
If you don't do it, you're going to ruin everyone else's fun. I mean, no one said those exact words, but the meaning was absolutely clear. And finally, the humiliation got so strong, I'm like, all right, kids, I'll ride on the teacup ride, you know, I'll ride it. So, yeah, you thought we were going somewhere else, didn't you? (laughs) We could have, we could have. Families, those kind of things happen, don't they? Shame, it can be used to control people. And shame is very, very destructive. In fact, some of you have been deeply wounded by shame. Some of you grew up in families where it was a regular occurrence, a daily occurrence. You know, some of you attended churches where shame was the primary technique by which you motivate people to do what they're supposed to do. And I will tell you, shame is ugly. It's destructive. And God did not create us to go through life with shame. You know, you find the first evidence of of shame is in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, the first of God's creation, they're in the garden. Everything's perfect. This This is before sin entered the world. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not what? Not ashamed. Imagine that. No shame, no secrets, no skeletons, no guilt. It was paradise. Absolutely no shame existed. And then Satan looks at paradise and he says, you know what, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy it. And so he, he lies to Adam and Eve. He gets them to eat the fruit that God said, don't touch. And they eat it and they sin and shame enters the world. Scripture says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. See, they started covering up. They felt insecure. They felt ashamed. Friends, you start trying to cover up things when shame enters your life. It's what you do. You know, Scripture goes on. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they what? Hid. They hid. They they didn't run toward God. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding. They're hiding because of their shame. They're, They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. Shame causes us to separate. It isolates us. It makes us feel desperate, and it makes you feel alone at points. You know, Adam and Eve, they're they're so ashamed. They're hiding. And friends, I will tell you, we've been hiding ever since. And, And the only way you overcome this thing called shame is you quit hiding. You quit hiding. I mean, some shame, some shame is because we look in this distorted mirror. It's not who you are. It's distorted. You know, many experts in the field of psychology, they would have us believe that that's the end of the story on shame. But the Bible says something very different about it. It says, although sometimes shame is from a flawed mirror, distorted mirror, 
It can also occur when you look in a very accurate mirror. You see, I, I feel shame when I sin. You know, I battle with things, greed, envy, pride. Sometimes I hurt people I love. And I can't just snap my finger and make that all go away. No. See, there's, a, there's an important element in shame. Sometimes shame has something very important to say. Sometimes shame puts us in check. Sometimes it's kind of the healthy aspect. Shame is an important part of being a human being. You know, we are made in the image of God. That's what separates us from the animals. But if you cannot experience shame, something's gone wrong. I mean, if you do something bad, if you continue down a a path that's not God-honoring, if you don't experience remorse and shame, you've lost something very essential to being a human being. You know, the question gets asked sometimes. People say, have you no shame? Have you no shame? You know, Herman uh, Goering um, you might recognize the name Nazi Germany, one of the most powerful figures. And he orchestrated some of the worst atrocities in human history. He was directly responsible for millions and millions of human beings being killed. And after the war at the Nuremberg trial, they're reading the list of atrocities that he, he was charged with, stuff that honestly just... You can't even comprehend. And Goring leans over to Albert Speer, and he says, never mind. One day they'll build monuments to us. Friends, if, if there had been some shame, any shame, it would have indicated that there was a flicker, just a, a spark of humanity. And what I'm saying is we have to learn to discern between healthy shame and toxic shame. We have to recognize the shame that is trying to keep us on the right track and the shame that's junk because it's from some distorted mirror in life. I mean, here's an example. When I was in third grade, I was down in Key West, Florida, in uh, Ponce de Leon School, my, my first day there, there was a girl named Sherry. And all the kids called her Shark Face Sherry. And I've shared part of this story not too long ago. But I, I remember seeing this young girl. And she's walking down the hall, and it was the first time I'd seen her, and, and she's cowering. She wouldn't even look up. And kids were darting back and forth trying to get out of her way because they didn't want to be near her. She always sat alone at lunch. Everybody ignored her. You know, some of you right now, you're going, yeah, I I knew someone like that. Some of you are going, I was someone like that. But I remember there were many jokes made at school, and they were all made at her expense. No one ever stuck up for her. And 
I imagine that she lived every day hoping that somebody, somebody would notice her. And then she regretted when they did because when they did notice her, they, they shamed her. And I remember feeling ashamed because I didn't stand up for her. And I, I would talk to her if nobody else was around. And I found out she, she was very kind, very gentle. But I was ashamed because I didn't do anything. And, and now I, I, think about, I think about my grandkids. What if my grandkids had to experience something like that? All these years later, I look back, and honestly, I'm just ashamed because I, I knew better. I knew better. Now, do you see the two different kinds of shame in that story? I mean, there's Sherry's shame. She carried it almost every day. It was false shame. It told her that she was unlovely that she was unwanted, and it was not true. She was a child of God, fearfully, wonderfully made. And then there's the other kind of shame, shame I felt. I was ashamed of the gap between who I was and who I could have been. You know, I was ashamed because I knew that I should be compassionate and courageous but I didn't act. You know, there's a scripture, James, he writes, he says, if you know what is right to do, but if, and don't do it, you sin. You sin. You know, Elton Trueblood, uh, 20th century theologian, he uses a term often, redemptive shame. It's an odd expression, isn't it? Redemptive shame. It is definitely not a a very popular concept in our world today, in our culture. Because it's about the pain, the the signal, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit that says you've fallen short of God's plan for you. It's not okay. This needs to be addressed. This needs to be corrected. This needs to be fixed in your life. I mean, what kind of shame you carry? Maybe it's the shame of debt that you've allowed to pile up. You don't feel good about yourself. You go out and spend money. And then you feel even worse. You know, maybe it's the, the shame because you lie a lot. You know, you cheat. You cut corners. You know, maybe it's the shame about the way you look. You can't believe that you've let yourself get in the shape that you've gotten in. Maybe it's the shame of an affair, sexual sin. You know, maybe you're ashamed you had an abortion or you cheated or you, you hurt someone. You know, maybe, maybe you're a victim, victim of abuse. And here's the here's really strange thing about shame. Even when it's not your fault, you feel guilt and shame. You, you know intellectually it's not your fault, but emotionally you can't let it go. You can't get over it. I mean, what, what are you ashamed of in your life? 
Because friends, I will tell you, our spiritual enemy will use shame to hurt us, to destroy us. It's a cycle of shame and it's meant to do us harm. I mean, whose fault it is, doesn't really matter. It's not the issue here. The shame is the issue. The shame is really what I want to get at. You know, Satan wants us to internalize this stuff. He wants us to take what, what happened, take what was said, take what, what you did, and he wants to take and mess you up. He wants you to allow it to define you. You know, for instance, you know, so-and-so rejected me. And then we move to, I'm, I'm worthless. You know, I, I failed in my marriage. I failed financially. And he wants us to move to, I'm a failure. You know, after all I did, how could God love me? I, I'm so bad. And friends, Satan's goal, we've said this before, his goal is to steal and kill and destroy He wants to make you a prisoner. And he wants to torment you with your past. Because if he can do that, if he can accomplish that, he can separate you. He can separate you from God. He can separate you from other people. And he can separate you from the future that God has for you. He wants you to come to a place where you hate yourself. And you hate your life. And he will distort it. And he will distort what God says about you. That's how shame goes. And friends, I will tell you, the stakes are high. You know, there are two people in uh, Scripture that betrayed Jesus. They deserted him. They turned their back on him. But their outcomes, dramatically different outcomes, ultimately. There was Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. In fact, he identified and and turned Jesus over to the authorities. Handed him over for trial. He didn't know they were going to execute Jesus, but they did. And Judas internalizes that guilt. That that shame overtook him at a point. And he saw no way to fix what he had done. And the pain and the shame, it got so great he killed himself. The other betrayer was Peter. Peter, three times. He doesn't stand up for Jesus. In fact, three times he denies even knowing Jesus. And instead of internalizing the the guilt and the shame, there's a point where he owned it. And if you know the whole story, he ultimately looks in the eyes of Jesus and accepts forgiveness from him. Still allowing the the guilt and shame to destroy him, he finds hope in it. He goes on, he he preaches the first sermon at Pentecost. 3,000 people bow a knee to Jesus Christ, the birth of the church. Peter and Judas, though, very similar sin. They both dealt with shame. One ended in death, the other one, it brought new life. Can you see the stakes are high here? Shame can eat at your soul. Or 
shame can motivate you to change, to invest your life in other people, help other people. You know, Peter, he, he was qualified to preach about forgiveness, wasn't he? He was qualified for that. Friends, the very thing that you're ashamed of, hear this, the very thing that you're ashamed of, that thing that you're thinking about right now, God wants to forgive it and heal it, and God wants to use it for something beautiful. He does. Paul writes, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. The Greek word, horama, it means to fortify yourself. And Paul, when you read that, he's painting this picture of a prisoner of war, you know, locked up by deception, imprisoned by wrong beliefs is what he's talking about here. I mean, what what do you do when you're locked up like that? Because the evil one wants you to believe that what you did You know, what someone said about you, what somebody did to you, what somebody wants you to believe about yourself, believe about who you are. See, he wants you to believe that you cannot change, that your past owns you. And Paul says, no. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the truth. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Friends, we don't believe the lies of the evil one. The truth is, you are not what you've done. You are not what was done to you. You are who God says you are. You know, you are who God called you to be and created you to be and we're to break free and demolish those strongholds because that's what they are. We need to silence the, the voice and listen to God and just demolish that stuff, all that shame, whatever it is that you're ashamed of. Because friends, I'll tell you two things. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you cannot change the past. You cannot change it. You cannot change your past. But Jesus Christ can change your future. See, you can't change your past, but Jesus Christ can change your future. You know, no matter how dark things are, no matter how heavy the guilt and the shame may be, God promises that he'll see us through that. You know, Paul writes, he says, and we know that in what? All things, all things, all things, all things, everything, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things, it includes the dark things. It includes the things that we're ashamed of. It includes the things that we would give anything to just take back. It includes the things that we wish we had never experienced in our lives. And friends, God is working and he's doing something great and good. And he wants to change your future. And he'll take your shame, 
and he'll use it. But you got to confess it and give it to God. You go, I am ashamed of this and it's yours. And friends, God wants, he wants to and he will turn it into something beautiful. I mean, he's a master of it. Some of you, this scripture, you ought to, you ought to write it down. You ought to put it on your refrigerator at your desk. You ought to memorize it. You ought to embed it in your heart. But Job writes this. You must give your whole heart to him and hold out your hands to him for help. Put away the sin that's in your hands. Let no evil remain in your tent. Then you can lift up your face without shame. No more shame. And you can stand strong without fear. You'll forget your troubles. Remember it only as water gone by. Something in the past no longer has a hold on you. See, the evil one, whatever that thing is, he means it for harm. But the God of grace and power We'll use it for good. All that pain, all that guilt, all that shame, God will use it. God will use it, and he'll do something beautiful in and through you if you just let him. And friends, I got to believe today, some of you just need to, whatever that thing is, just give it to God. I challenge you. It's, it's holding you back. It's keeping you from being who, who God created you to be. You know, some of you have been carrying it for a lifetime. And I say today is the day you break free. Break the stronghold. No more. It's done. It's over. New life. We'll have prayer teams down front uh, following the worship song. And um, I just encourage you. Look, here's the deal. Let's just be very clear. We all have shame on some level. Something. You know, I'm sure as I was sharing some of the story, you're, you went back to something. Man, I was ashamed of that. We all have it. Some of us carry, carry it and it's dug deep in. And I just challenge you just to come down. You don't have to say what it is. Just say, today's the day I walk out of here free. No more prison cell. And let them let pray for you. Let today be the day it changes your life. Let, let, let's stand for a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we stand before you. God, we lift to you the guilt, the shame. That thing that just is holding us back. It's killing us inside a little bit each day. Thing that just won't go away. God, you know that for some, the shame, it's just a distorted mirror. It's a lie. They have nothing to be ashamed of. 
God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just whisper in their ear and say, today it's gone, no more. There are many of us here, Lord, that uh, we've done things we're ashamed of. But God, you say, it doesn't matter what we did in our past, it's what we do with our future. So God, we lay those at your feet today. We ask for forgiveness. God, we pray you just, today would be the day we'd be set free from that. God, we thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you that you, your desires to forgive and to have mercy and to give us strength to make a difference in other people's lives, to live free. And God, we praise you for your power. We praise you for your amazing grace, amazing love. God, we just give you our lives and we give you all, all that junk in our life today. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.